right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 333 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today, I'm joined by two guys from Buffalo, Gene Smith and John Jeffrey, who are putting together the Buffalo Rock City KISS Tribute. Good to see both of you guys. Thanks for taking the time to join us on the show today. Um, introduce yourselves. Well, um, Julian, you and I have known each other, as uh, we said, now going on... Uh, better part of uh 25 years and um i've been a long time kiss fan pretty much uh immersed in kiss fandom going back to when i was 16 years old and i started the kiss underground fanzine and um i guess my fandoms kind of evolved uh i did the fanzine from 1987 up until 2007 and uh, started doing uh, Kiss Tribute Band, um, God, maybe around 2000 on and off. And then um, just recently, um, uh, after a chain of events, wound up uh, with this idea to do this Kiss Tribute record. And uh, a Kiss Tribute record like that, like one's never done b- before. Awesome. Gene, what about yourself? Well, uh, I am kind of a Van Halen fan, uh, more at least. I don't know if you can tell by the stripes on the walls. Um, uh, local musician, haven't really done much, but uh, playing a Van Halen tribute band for the past 25 years, maybe once a year, actually do a gig, do a lot of YouTube. I have a cover band with uh, family, my brother-in-law, cousin, and a couple other guys that are really good musicians but it's i don't really gig much just like the noodle i like the challenge of playing cover tunes and write uh, some uh, instrumentals here and there and you have your your youtube channel yeah youtube channel uh that's where i put all my effort in because i can do it on my time <laughs> at my pace and and not compromise whatsoever with other people play what i want to play so um, so what, what what kind of stuff are you doing on your youtube ta- channel Everything from Ingve Malmsteen to Night Ranger, Rat, Van Halen, a uh, lot of Dokken. A big George Lynch fan. Can't go wrong with Dokken. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think what Gene <laughs> overlooked a little bit is, is essentially what he does is he does guitar covers of his favorite guitarists and what he does is he'll take the song he'll learn the guitar parts the rhythms the solos he'll learn them note for note and that not only just play all the parts correctly but he'll also break down like the various tones that are recorded on the original albums so what you hear is not just you know somebody replicating you know, uh, a solo note for note, but you're really getting the full essence of the the lead guitar, the rhythm guitar, all the guitars um, from all the songs that he covers. And that's kind of, you know, kind of brought him into this project was, uh, you know, his ability to do that, even though he's not um, like 
you and I, a diehard Kiss fan, but it was more so his just attention to detail, um, which you know brought him into this project. Not a diehard Kiss fan. Hold him while I crop uh, him out of the image. Yeah, I was just saying, <laughs> uh, hey man, I had Kiss Alive too when I was a kid. My neighbor gave it to me. Uh, regretfully, put the tattoos on my arm right away. Uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, I have a love for for all of it. Very inspired by it, but. Even even with Van Halen, I couldn't tell you a song off the Gary Sharon album. <laughs> you know, I just like what I like. Zone in on on those those hits that are playing on the radio and a couple of B sides here and there, but uh, that's generally what, with all music. So yeah, it's kind of funny when I started getting seriously back into guitar again. First song, I really really wanted to learn to play the riff to properly Unchained. It's just something yeah. that feels very, very good about that. And I can't get anywhere near the tone, but uh, and I can't get anywhere near the quality of actually playing it. But you know what? Uh, for me, playing is all about fun. Let's talk about Buffalo Rock City, Western sure. New York's tribute to Kiss. Yes. John, why? You know, that's a good question. Actually, somebody else uh, in a, a message board said, you know, do we really need another Kiss tribute album? And I kind of pondered the question literally. And and I agree with that in some ways, but I'll give you the, the real reason why. Is being a Kiss fan and being a big audio collector like yourself, um, I've, I don't say if, if I own copies of every Kiss tribute record, but I think I've at least heard tracks from every single one that's ever come out ever since the first one, uh, Hard to Believe, released in 1990. And I have to say my biggest issue with all of them is the fact that they're compilation records. And like with any compilation record, whether it be a tribute album or just a, you know, a greatest hits package by any band, is that when you're listening to it, and especially being somebody who appreciates audio like yourself, um, it becomes fatiguing to the ear to go through and hear the constant sonic change from track to track. And being that, you know, with Kiss tribute records, a lot of them not exactly having huge recording budgets, um, some of the sonic change from track to track is extreme where you'd go from a song where, you know, you have the bass blowing out your speakers and the next song sounds like uh, AM radio, you know, transistor. And so that was kind of like the goal. Like if we're going to do this record, we wanted to record the album. I guess if you would compare it to anything, it would be compared to like the Kiss uh, Jigoku record or as in, is released on Sonic Boom, Kiss Classics, where what they did is they recorded all of those songs. And while they, you know, kind of focused in and changed some of the tones, when you listen to that record from the beginning to end, you get this feeling that, okay, this is recorded by the same guys, probably in the same studio, and it just has like this cohesive feel. So that was something that we wanted to do with this Kiss tribute record, and it being that it's not a compilation record, it's actually the first ever Kiss collaboration record, and that's what we wanted to do by making this CD. 
I think you've actually nailed a really important point about the tributes historically, and it's no slight on the effort and intent of any of those projects to want to do something that sounds better. Um, but no. it's, it's, all, it's often been a painful experience listening to those, as you mentioned, that you're going from someone is recorded a track properly and has some clue about production, you know, in an eight track studio, you know, even that's, you know, very low, low brow back in the day anyway, before we had Pro Tools and whatnot. And then someone else was bouncing channels on a Tascam, you know, two track tape recorder. Uh, in, and when you put all of those together, it's... Like you go from freeway, freshly paved, to potholes, and Bob Ezrin would have a nervous breakdown listening to some of the productions that have actually been released, even though the passion and the fire is all there. That has nothing to do with it, but it, it still sounds like a sonic hoagie, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a goulash. So, you know, at what point do you actually sit down and say, I... I'm going to take on a tribute album project because that's a hell of a step to take committing, you know, rather than saying, I'm just going to do a couple of songs like an EP. How do you, what makes you sit down and say, I want to make a new statement about kiss tributes and uh, commit to all the work that goes with it. Well, do you want the long answer or the short answer? I'll take any answer that you give. And, you know, if it's too long, I'll edit you out. Oh, all right, fair enough. Well, the the true, honest uh, answer, which is a little lengthy, was that uh, my Kiss tribute was playing um, at a. Let me try to think. In 2014, we were playing at a venue called the High Rock Cafe in Niagara Falls, New York, and the guy who was booking bands at the time was a guy by the name of Jody Valletta. And Jody is a huge Kiss fan, and I've known him for a long time. Um, Jody actually, he and I, we played both in our very first bands, and we both had um, a rehearsal room in the same rehearsal, uh, I guess you'd say, like a rehearsal warehouse or rehearsal studio. Yeah. It was like, um, it was it was cool. It was a place called the Scrapyard, and downstairs was a full music venue. And upstairs were all these rehearsal rooms. And our first bands, our rooms were literally right next to each other. And the walls weren't super thick. So, like, we're playing. And when we would stop playing, we could literally hear what the bands next to us were doing. So we kind of, like, listened into each other. And then when we take a break, we'd come out of our rooms and meet in the hallway and talk. And uh, Jody and a lot of the guys in his band huge kiss fans and when he booked us at the show at the hard rock after the show he was uh, helping us load out um which is being a booking agent is virtually unheard of usually booking agents do nothing except try to uh barter you down at the end of the night for you to accept lesser pay so the fact that he was there and he was helping us that was very cool and um we got into the conversation which a lot of KISS fans do, about when KISS plays live, why do they usually only play certain songs? You know, the hit you know, the hit songs versus so many other great songs, B-sides, and, uh, you know, not well-known material. And, you know, as a lot of people may argue, is that a majority of the people that would go see KISS in a concert setting, you're going to have majority of, you know, casual 
uh, music fans versus a percentage of diehard Kiss fans. And it's kind of the same thing when you're in a Kiss tribute and you're playing at a music venue. Um, you have the same thing, just on a, a smaller scale, where you have a percentage of people who are there who are, you know, just casual music fans that will go see, you know, the band that was there the weekend before, and that's going to go see the band that's there the weekend after you. And then you have, you know, diehard Kiss fans that want to come see you just because of the fact that you're a Kiss tribute band. So we got into the conversation of, you know, what great songs, you know, Kiss should play live that they don't, and what songs that, you know, we also um, weren't playing live that would be cool. And then we started talking about, again, how both of our bands are huge fans and wouldn't it be cool if we got together with, um, you know, other KISS fans in the area and just had like this really huge kind of KISS jam where we just played all the songs that you never really get to hear played live just for our own fun. And then, of course, the conversation went from, well, if we're going to do this epic KISS jam, we should record it, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and then that conversation went to, well, if we're we're going to record it, we have to record it well. And then it went from like, well, I guess we're going to book some studio time and we're going to go in and we're going to record all these songs that we wanted to do. And it never actually started out as a conversation of, well, we're going to record a Kiss tribute album. It was just, we're going to go and we're going to record the Kiss songs that we want to play, which I guess uh, by definition, by default, that's a Kiss tribute album. So that was kind of what wound up happening is we picked a bunch of songs that we wanted to do. And um, we had a few false starts and stops and some people who were initially interested that fell off and then, other people who are interested who came on later and we wound up with the idea to uh to do this kiss tribute record and um you know basically again going back to the whole concept of what other kiss tribute records are being compilations we already started saying well if we do this we're going to make sure that this record is better than any other Kiss tribute record ever to come out. And again, it's no slight to the dedication and the performances that other musicians have done on other Kiss tribute records, but again, down to the recording process of how they're recorded to make sure that the end result is something that is uh, superior sound-wise. And that's basically um, how the whole project got started. So at what point does Gene enter the picture? Um, well, kind of the, the running, I guess, theme about this record is um, great things coming out of bad things. And to kind of preface that, um, being the fact that when we started recording the album back in January, it was right before COVID hit here in the United States. And... Um, when I started reaching out to um, some of my, uh, I guess you say, famous musician friends to see if they would participate, the fact that COVID prevented them from being able to be out on the road, which they normally would be doing, now they're home, literally not knowing when they would be going back out on the road or what they would be doing, giving them the time to be able to participate, which in normal circumstances, 
it wouldn't happen. So, you know, having guys like, you know, Bumblefoot and Dean Castronovo and Robbie Takak from the Goo Goo Dolls, um, you know, the guys in Ace's band, you know, Mitch Wiseman, all these guys, you know, who would normally, you know, be doing something. Um, we're now kind of, you know, stuck at home and not sure what the next move was going to be. It, it really gave the opportunity to um, to have them involved. And like I said before, when we first came up with the idea to do the record, we had certain people kind of in mind to play on the record. But when it came time to step up and actually, you know, get the job done, you know, as like with anything, you had some people that just kind of, you know, flaked off. And um, due to the fact of the uh, flaking of a, a guitar player, um, the songs that were originally supposed to be recorded, the um, the animalized songs that we had lined up to do for this record, um, there was a void that needed to be filled. And I've known Gene since about 1995, and uh, Gene was actually a really good friend of guys in the band that... Uh, that band situation did not end well, but Gene, <laughs> Gene was always a good friend and it never affected our relationship. So literally I got a phone call two nights before the first rehearsal for the record from this guitar player. And he's like, um, yeah, I'm not interested in doing this record anymore. And I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, well, we haven't gotten together one time to play one note on this record. So how could you have already lost interested in doing this so, so so anyway so i'm literally sitting in front of uh, my computer monitor going who am i going to get to play guitar on this now and i just sat there and gene's name just popped into my head and so i'm there so then i i pull up facebook from my taskbar i type in his name see what he's doing and i just happen to see that he's doing all these um, guitar recreations and he's got a YouTube channel where he's taking songs, learning them from scratch, learning all the guitar parts, playing them note for note, you know, recreating the guitar styles. And that's exactly what I needed for the um, two Animalize tracks that we recorded for the album, which are I've Had Enough and While the City Sleeps. And so I contacted Gene, I told him the scenario he never heard of either song ever before in his life, <laughs> and uh, but but he jumped right on it. And I, I tell you, uh, you know, truthfully, he plays these songs just as well as Mark St. John did, and probably he plays these songs better than what you know. If I got one of the most diehard Kiss fans, you know, who's a great guitar player to learn the songs. I don't know if they would do as great a job as he did on those songs. The check well, is in the mail, John. Check is in the mail. Well, Gene, well, I mean, what was your you, – you've already said something about your musical interests. What was your response to, you know, checking out While the City Sleeps and uh, I've had enough Into the Fire? One is obviously the lead-off track on an album, and that should yeah. tell you something about it. But uh, what was your impression? Uh, you know, it, it's – well, first of all, it's like uh, I'm – Tick that I didn't know about those tunes because you know, like I'm a huge like Rat fan and the Doc and it's it's all very much in the style of that you know it, this perfect early '80s style music that I love and and I was like, you kidding me? I, I, 
how could someone say no to wanting to, to do that? Like, I, I really love recreating that stuff and doing I do the recording at home of the tracks that I did. And, uh, you know, without any real pressure than my own time, it was just so fun and uh, really just discovered how awesome Mark St. John was. And, and uh, it's, uh, it meant a lot to me to pull it off the best I could. Um, that's what I, what I really like about playing cover tunes is like doing justice to something, you know, not doing a half-assed or it was the best I can do it. Um, but it's just, it's so much fun. I mean, like, I'm not out to try to be a rock star. I'm a 50-year-old man. I have family upstairs. You know, this is a huge opportunity to have a ton of fun. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was it. And, and you know, now I, I listen to these albums are on playlists on Spotify, you know, while I'm working during the day, too. And, and I appreciate it more and more. So, so how do you start reverse engineering? Because uh, you know, because when you want to try and marry up the original tone and the specifics in a guitar performance, where do you start on that process in order to get it where you need to be headspace-wise? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, so I've done this Van Halen tribute for 25 years, and every year. You know, I you know if we're gonna do a gig, well, you used to play three nights a week back in the '90s. Every year I go and I revisit these songs. I'm like, oh, I gotta play that solo better. Like I know I'm missing some. Uh, there's little nuances, even eruption. I played, been playing eruption since I was like 14. Horribly then, I still think mediocre now because I'm my own worst uh, critic. But it's just just going. It's chiseling away at, at the details, and then knowing enough music theory. You know, you can pick up on the chords. It's like, okay, these are the chords. Here's the music theory behind the solo. Anything outside of that's going to sound horrible. So I know I'm, you know, I'm in this box and just listening for the nuances. And, you know, the challenges a lot of times are the speed and going from this part to this part, stitching things together. Um, but that's usually where it starts. So a little bit of minimal music theory to, to get through it uh, helps. Um, as far as the tones and things like that, um, if, if you ever get a chance to check out the YouTube channel, I started out everything with a, a very nice Mesa Boogie amp, uh, but it had really has like two sounds to it, really. Um, and uh, I, I get a lot of comments, wow, you nailed the tone. And I think a lot of times that that comes from the context of the music around it. Like I download these backing tracks, it's got the actual lead singer on it, the bass and the drum tracks. You slip in the guitar, even if it's close, I think people's brains fill in the rest if you're right. really familiar with the songs. I, um, I strongly believe that. But then I recently, uh, well, two years ago, bought this uh, uh, 11-rack amplifier. It's one of those things you can download sounds on it, and people create them, and you can add them to it. And it really helped me dial in some of these other tones. Like I, I spent a lot of time on I've Had Enough and While the City Sleeps at the beginning coming up with the tones and and I even with the lead tone I went back and forth with John a couple times just to get it to punch through and even Bruce Kulik comment on uh, the tone not being right up for that one's like yeah rock <laughs> yeah no I actually um, I had uh, contacted Bruce um, actually asking him um, if he would be interested in participating in the record and I think what was going on at the time is he was looking into um, which I didn't know when I had contacted him, but it just it was ironic the timing was that 
I believe at that point in time, he was working on the material with Chris Jericho in the quarantine project. Oh, right. And, right. And I think it was um, more, um, I guess, more attractive to him to be able to do a song that he actually played on by doing um, Heart of Chrome as opposed to, you know, we're looking at him basically doing, you know, the Mark St. John material, which wasn't him. Although, you know, for most people, you know, with the fact that Mark St. John has passed away, um, he does do a lot of the animalized material, like when he does the uh, the medleys on the Kiss Cruises and so forth. So, you know, he seemed like the logical person to try to come in, you know, to, to play that stuff. Um, again, this was early on before I had, you know, talked to Gene about him being on it. But, you know, I, I you know, been in contact with Bruce since I was 16 years old doing the Kiss Underground uh, fanzine. And he's always been really nice to me. And so when we started working on this and just coming up with some of the, you know, the early bed tracks and some of the stuff that I sent you, Julian, um, I sent that to Bruce just to get, you know, his feedback. And he's like, well... If you want it to sound really like the record, then you want to just plug in directly into a Rockman, which if people don't know what a Rockman is, it's basically like a, a very early guitar processor that's kind of like a, how should you say, it's like a, a almost like a, a, a headphone it, well, the Rockman had the headphone amps back in the early '80s, but like uh, they're Tom Scholl's uh, amps, you know, he, from he engineered all of his own stuff. So, and I think that's what Mark St. John used when that was coming from. Uh, right, but Bruce. I think I think what Bruce was saying though was that they actually used like oh, one wow. of, one of the small little plug-in ones that's like a a headphone kind of like you can you know back in the 80s they made these things so you could get these you know walk around play the guitar with your headphones on walk around and just clip the amp like on on your hip and walk around that's what these rockmans were and now like if you try to get them they're like they're they're pretty expensive if you try to get them on ebay but bruce was saying yeah if you want to get the you know animalized sound you know just plug directly rockman right into the board and you'll get that sound and um so we didn't do that but <laughs> little eq <laughs> but, stuff yeah yeah yeah, you, yeah to you, to you totally got there with the sound because, yeah, yeah, you were sharing some samples as you were going along with me, you know, getting some feedback. I was just blown away from the get-go on oh, the clarity, and um, I, I think we're lucky. Gene, are you just doing lead, or are you doing rhythm? And, I, I, and yeah, I did everything on those tracks, all, all the doubled rhythms um, and, yeah, and all the leads, harmonizing leads. So, yeah. Because we're lucky on some of those songs that we've got the work tapes from Mark St. John, actually, for I've Enough uh, cool. Into the Fire, where you can actually hear those bed tracks that he yeah. was working off um, uh, as well. So it makes it a really cool listen, especially when you're trying to recreate. But I want to talk to uh, you started with the drums and the bed tracks in January. Right. What is the importance uh, for those people who aren't familiar or don't understand recording? What is the importance of drums as your foundation for a song? Well, the, the thing is, again, um, 
the way that most records are are made, I should say in a traditional sense, because I was reading an interview um, that Ace Frehley did, and he was saying the way that he does records now is he actually records all of his guitar parts first and then puts it on a click track, and then they just have whatever drummer come in and fly in their parts afterwards, which is really bizarre. But for me, from recording you know since i was a teenager it's always been you start with the drums then you'll add you know maybe you know like a scratch guitar and then bass and then final guitar and then vocals that's always been kind of the traditional way to to build up a song so i figured what we needed to do in order to do this collaboration record is we needed to to set a foundation so that way we would have, first of all, we'd have a great sounding drum track. That was the most important thing, is just to make the, have the drums sound great. And then being the fact that we recorded all the drums on the same drum set on the same day in the same studio, we would know that every song would have that same sonic foundation that no matter what we built upon it, that the drum sound would be like the glue that would tie every track together. So even if we had different guitar sounds, different bass, vocals, you would at least be able to cue in on that low-end drum sound that would be like the thing that even if you don't know, like if, if you're not familiar with music or how everything's recorded, your ear is going to kind of be fooled just to, to kind of like listen to it. And you're going to just get that feeling that you're listening to something that's cohesive, even if you don't know the reason why it is. And I think Gene kind of alluded, I think it was Gene alluded to that with like playing the guitar, that your your brain's filling in some of the missing yeah. parts. So, it, you know, it's, it's a bit of mental trickery by having that foundation because then the guitar is coming on top of it. Um, Gene, out of the two songs, was there one that was more challenging than the other to execute? Uh, so I've had enough has this really quick harmonized guitar descending run that, uh, uh, yeah, I just had to pick, I had to chisel away at that for quite a bit. That That's one. It, it, but then if you go to, like, While the City Sleeps, it, there's like very there's like four different parts they all end on the same note and uh to get them to sound as good as mark st john got them to sound and then keep the the timing of them like there's like you're, you're ripping through doing this and then you gotta be boom on cue you gotta be here and then on cue you gotta be here it was the individual parts weren't so hard as is is stitching them together i would say so for uh Definitely, while the city sleeps, it had it had more of that element was difficult. And for I've had enough. It was that harmonized descending run at the beginning. It was like octaves, but yeah, because yeah. I just I just wanted to add on that because when we got to the point where we were adding uh, Mitch Weissman's vocals to that, um, we were listening to just like the instrumental track and listening to the original Kiss track and where the lead guitar parts come in are kind of it's kind of different um i guess maybe going back to the vinnie vincent stuff kiss wasn't really the type of band that would have kind of ad-lib riffing in the songs 
there are more or less you know you'd have like your main solo and maybe like an outro solo like in hard times or something like that or like black diamond you have that big you know uh you know very uh, almost cinematic you know uh, ending you know with, with ace just you know playing great stuff but more so most kiss songs just basically have like a central lead solo and it didn't seem like until like the 80s that that's when they started doing stuff i guess almost like van halen, yeah, I was gonna say van halen where yeah. you'd have like these little licks thrown in in various parts of the song aside from having a main lead guitar solo so the interesting thing was is when we were listening to just the the music without the vocals where the those isolated guitar parts come in are in really weird parts because they play off the vocal. So you would, if you were just like listening to the drums and the rhythm guitar, and you were just going to add the lead guitar to those parts, you would think, well, it's going to come in here right at the beginning of this bar. But really, where the part comes in, it's at a very odd part because it kind of follows the lyrical content of the song. And it, and it kind of plays off the actual lyric as opposed to coming in on a, you know, specific bar of music. So that's kind of interesting as far as, you know, where those those parts kind of all fit in, in the song. Yeah, and that was something that Mark St. John really brought in on this album was filling those areas with fully formed, you don't want to call them fills as such. And I think a lot of his jazz background gave him a lot more freedom in interpreting how to use that space and how to fill it kind of appropriately with his blistering fingers, you know, because the, the guy could put some really rapid runs together um, that, that are very subtle. And again, going back to those work tapes, which I was listening to. You know, hearing him work on those ideas and those concepts and put them in, uh, really fascinating. So, you know, that's part one of the things I like about Animalize is that you can really get into the guts of that album, even if it doesn't quite stand in terms of the overall quality of the songs, uh, on some of them anyway, um, compared right. to some other so uh, albums at the time from the band. So what... What led you to uh, reach out to Mitch Weissman? I mean, that's a very, very quirky thing to be doing on a tribute record to get the songwriter to appear on his song that he never, I don't think he ever appeared on or uh, did anything more than a, a little bit of background vocal stuff with the band. Yeah, well, well, here's the thing. I, again, you know, doing this this Kiss tribute album, we wanted, again, to do something that would set it apart from literally any other Kiss tribute album that ever came out. Uh, again, this being the first ever Kiss collaboration record, we also wanted to um, have a few other interesting things. This is, as far as I know, this is the only Kiss tribute album that has songs going from the very first Kiss album all the way up to the very last Kiss album, which was Monster, which you know people are questioning, will Kiss ever record again? Probably not. Maybe we don't know, but for all intents and purposes for now, uh, it has songs from every Kiss album. We have songs that represent every guitar player who was ever in Kiss, all five guitar players. Um, we have vocals from all four original members represented on the album, and we have songs represented by all the main Kiss studio drummers. You know, Peter Chris, of course, Eric Carr, Eric Singer, 
and Anton Fig. And so we wanted to, you know, make sure that we hit a lot of, uh, you know, interesting factors with doing this. And we wanted to also do something interesting where we had, as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only time ever where a KISS co-writer who wrote a song with the band actually re-recorded a studio version of a song that they wrote with KISS that was released on a KISS album and wound up coming out years later. Yeah, I think I think so. I'm trying to think Desmond, uh, whether he did anything naughty with his stuff. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, for for that for all intents and purposes, why the hell not? I mean, um, it makes sense. Gene, it, I think John said that you played guitar on three songs. Yeah, that's funny because the the day John contacted me about doing this, I had already uh, had put together a version. I worked for months with a, a local singer just remotely by passing backing tracks for. Um, why am I brain fired back on the streets? So it's a song I've just loved ever since that, the first Vinnie Vincent album came out. It's like it always did something for me. And I and I had usually worked with backing tracks where they already have drums and bass. I'm like, you know, it's got that swing beat. I bet you I could recreate that whole thing with software. I got a keyboard right here. Uh, I'll do all the music and I'll have a guy come down and we'll do it for YouTube, which adds an, uh, an extra pain in the butt element because – he, he the singer didn't have the luxury of singing you know one verse at a time to get it just right i'm like look i'm gonna be filming you you kind of like i want you to sing it all the way through to the solo and then after all the way through to the end um so i put this project together and i posted about it on facebook as well right be, right before john contacted me and it was like the day of the filming this uh the vocals for that video it was back on the streets um and I had already made the decision to do my own version of the song. Usually I'm trying to nail every little nuance that a guitar player did and just copy. I think the only thing I kept was this like a signature little fill lick that, that uh, Benny Vincent and John Norum did in, in the version of the song. Um, I think it's in the second verse. Yeah, second verse. Yeah. You know, start, you know, the, the clean channel in the second verse. But the rest was just free for all. I even changed the background to solo a little bit. Um, and John goes, I can't believe you, you know, you're doing a, a cover of this. You know, we want to do that for, for the tribute album, but there was already somebody slated to play it. And I'm not about stepping on people's toes and uh, that it just got put aside. Uh, if you want to pick up from there. Yeah. Um, basically again, um, going back to the theme about, uh, great things coming out of bad. Um, ironically, uh, the very first band that I was ever in, again, like in a lot of band situations, um, didn't end well. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's just it's just how it happens. And uh, truthfully, um, the only person that I am friends with from my very first band happens to be uh, the guy who replaced me in the band, and his name is Brad Peace. And Rips. Brad is a great guitar yeah, player, Rips. and 
Brad was going to be the guy playing guitar on the song, and um, he just had some things going on where he wasn't able to get into a studio. A lot of it had to do with, you know, COVID-related. Um, we were originally trying to get him in, so one of our um, the studio that we actually started recording in before COVID hit, um, he wasn't able to get in there. And then he had some other things go on. Just It just didn't work out time-wise where he was able to record his guitar tracks. And then the vocalist who sang on Back on the Streets, his name is Nat Peace, which is actually Brad's nephew. So I thought that would be interesting to have two guys who were related who are fantastic musicians, but neither of them have ever actually worked on anything together. They just are both great musicians who have done their own projects. So I thought it would be cool to have both of them be on the same track. Um, Nat actually had to go for a nasal surgery. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to get his vocals recorded before he had to have the surgery done because we didn't know what the downtime was going to be and if there was any, you know, potential issues that would arise from him having this nasal surgery and not being able to sing properly for a period of time, we wanted to make sure we got his vocals. Um, so we had the option of having Nat come in and singing just to the, you know, the original Vinnie Vincent backing track. And he really didn't want to do that. He really wanted to be able to just sing the song with actual live instrumentation. So that's when I went to Gene. I'm like, well, you know, Brad's not able to do the guitars right now. You know, would you be able to put down, you know, just like a rhythm guitar so he could, you know, sing to that. So Gene, of course, laid down the rhythm guitar. And then like two days later, I get a phone call from Gene. He's like, dude, I recorded the whole song. I did the solo note for note. It's done. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know what I'm saying? And uh, again, it was, it was no slight to Brad. It was just a matter of we, we knew that there was a window of time where things needed to be done. And, um, you know, the fact that uh, he had already done the rhythm guitars and they sounded great. And then he did the lead stuff, which is, you know, I think you heard that, Julian. It's, it's probably the only cover of the Vinnie Vincent Invasion version where the lead guitar solo is literally played note for note, like how Vinnie did on the record. I've never heard anybody play that solo like Gene did. Well, <laughs> you, you, you know what, Gene? He's absolutely right because, oh. I, again, I was blown away by it. Um, just the power. Thank you. Thank and because you're doing a pure tribute to Vinny's playing, you're not changing the interpretation of the music, so it's coming across very honestly and uh, you know, heartfelt to, to a I certain extent. It. You're respecting the music, um, but you're also, everything that you guys are putting into it effort-wise is coming across of um, passion, passion for music, passion for performance, passion for details. And that's something that gets lost a lot, the details, you know, that I, I can sit in in the background there playing along to Judas Priest, you know, and the, the passion's there, the details aren't. 
But what you guys are doing are you're making this thing sound just so absolutely spectacular. I've heard a couple of other oh, clips. Thank you so much. So I, I, I'm not going to talk about them because I th I really think that people are going to be blown away by the when they hear this. But I think what they're going to be blown away by too is that you've aligned this project with something bigger than yourself, bigger than the music, uh, a charity. Could you talk about um, Compass House Foundation and why that is important for you to align the project with something, with a charity like that? Yeah, uh, and again, not to sound, I feel like I'm doing a Paul Stanley interview where I have like these, you know, these, these cliche phrases that I'm using. But but again, truthfully, it's really a lot of this record has just been great things coming out of something bad. And, um, you know, I've had situations um, where, you know, when we originally tried to start the recording process of the album, where it didn't happen because right at the time, uh, this would have been right at the, trying to think time-wise, this would have been the end of 2017. It was right after Christmas, right before New Year's. Um, I had been living at a uh, family-owned property for 21 years, and um, the property went into foreclosure, and the new owners came in, and they wanted to do a fast sale, and they gave me a 30-day notice to vacate right, uh, right after Christmas, right before New Year's. And being in Buffalo, New York, if uh, anybody knows about the weather here, it's freaking cold. It's brutal. It is brutal. So literally to find an apartment or a house or anywhere to live in that time is just like next to impossible. And luckily I did find a place to live, uh, thankfully due to a very good friend of mine. And, um, I had some extra time because the people who wanted to evict me, they wound up selling the property as they had planned, but the new owner said that they didn't want to get rid of the existing tenants that they wanted to keep me. So I wound up setting up to move into my new place, but I had extra time because the new landlord, you know, had wanted me to stay. So, you know, when we got to the point where I got moved into my new place and I was settled, um, it really made me appreciate the fact that I was not homeless. And it was, you know, something that that was probably in my life the closest I ever got to actually, you know, facing like, wow, I, I could maybe, you know, being out on the streets without a place to live. Um, I mean, obviously, I have friends and family that would take care of me, but that would only be, you know, very short term, temporary. But I mean, it, it was the first time I ever dealt with that. So when we got together and started really, you know, looking over the track listing, I really thought about, you know what, why don't we do this record? Why don't we look at the songs, look over the list again? and really um, kind of come up with a theme and a theme that, you know, tied in with what I had to deal with, which is, you know, homelessness. And, you know, so this the track listing are basically, uh, they're all non-cock rock kiss songs and they all deal in some aspect or another with, you know, uh, living on the streets, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, uh, quote unquote hard times 
um, you know, just going through, you know, sometimes, you know, where you introspective things uh, like I've had enough, you know, to, you know, talks about um, just, you know, really, you know, evaluating a lot of things. And, and you know, like I said, dealing with a, a very difficult period of time. So it was interesting to make this tribute record, not only just a tribute record, uh, but almost a concept record in a sense where all the songs kind of, you know, tie together with the subject matter. Um, so when we were getting closer to actually, you know, having the record recorded and looking at a release date, we wanted to find a charity that we could donate the proceeds to. And um, there's a local charity here called Compass House. And Compass House, what they do is they basically help homeless youth. And, um, you know, we all were talking about, you know, different possible charities to donate to. And when it comes to homelessness, I truly believe that the people that are, are the biggest victims are children. Because whether you're a child in a home, um, where you know your parents are making the wrong decisions that put you in a position of being homeless or you know being a victim of abuse or you know whatever the case may be you know children are, are the ones that are least in control so we figured if there was anybody that we wanted to help is we wanted to help you know children who you know for whatever reason would wind up in these homeless situations and that's exactly what the compass house foundation is 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 what they cater to so that was the reason why we decided to go with the compass house well that's a fantastic cause to be aligned with you know homelessness and housing insecurity are massive issues you know across the country across the world so you know bravo to you for for caring and to have taken something out of your own housing insecurity you know um experience and putting it back into the community because buffalo is freaking cold in winter as i know <laughs> as i know from living in binghamton upstate new york was bad Ooh, yeah. but but you get towards there and then it gets real right lake effect snow lake, yeah, lake, lake, lake effect you know icicles coming sideways it's just nuts um some of the other good things about this album are who you've had master it or is it mix which is it? Master. Jay. Yes, Jay Messina. Jay Messina mastered the record. <laughs> That's nuts. I mean, yeah. the, the Jay Messina. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he, he's he's amazing. Um, and, and again, you know, everybody who participated in the record all did it um, asking for nothing. They all did it because they believed in what I believe in, what we believe in, um, in terms of making, you know, not only a, a great sounding KISS product, but, you know, doing it for a great cause. And um, ironically, um, Jay also happens to be friends with Mitch Wiseman. So when I was talking to Jay about the record and, and Jay and I just were talking on Facebook, I was just actually I was actually I contacted him after we got one of the final mixes of Hard Times, because if people don't know, um, Jay actually engineered and mixed the Dynasty record. So um, I wanted to kind 
trying to pick his brain a little bit and ask him about like some of the sounds like the drum sounds and so forth of what you know he wound up using for that song and um it turned in you know he went from like well can i call you because we were just messaging on facebook i'm like yeah call me so we he called me on the phone and we talked for about an hour and I told him, you know, the whole purpose of the record. I told him, you know, all the guys I had, you know, Aces guys, you know, which is which is a great, such a such a like like great kiss moment for me was me being such a huge Ace Frehley fan for me to be able to record Hard Times, you know, singing lead, playing guitar, and then having Ace's bass player Phil Schaus play bass on the song, just like. You know, I couldn't ask for anything more than that, really. Um, I guess for maybe Anton Fig playing drums, but I mean, Sean Prisblack, who played the drums on that, he nailed that. Like, it's all of them. Yeah, yeah, everything <laughs> he played is just yeah. is, is spot on. Sean's just an amazing drummer. And, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, I talked to Jay and um, I was just asking him some questions about, you know, some of the drum sounds and that. And um, he's like, well, once you get the final mixes, this is what I'll do. Send them over. I'll play with them a little bit. And if you like what I do, I'll master the record. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like so I, I'm telling the guys, so I'm like, yeah, um, Jay Messina, um, he, he asked if he could audition mastering <laughs> our, our record. <laughs> and it was like, um, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> Hell, hell yes, you know, because um, I mean, for me, you know, again, you know, Julian, both you and I, you know, are are big Kiss collectors and being, you know, audiophiles, as, as one may say, um, you know, that that's, you know, some people being Kiss fans, they'll have their certain aspects of what they like to collect. And I know for you and I, it's always been, you know, audio and video, more so audio. So for me, you know being being a, a a fan of you know audio and just you know hearing hearing everything that that jay did you know what i'm saying it, it was just uh, you know it was just for me i'd have to say dynasty and unmasked and dress to kill are probably the clearest kiss sounding albums in their discography and you could tell me if you agree with that or not Dynasty for certain. I to- totally agree with you on Dynasty. Okay. I'm not too sure. Yeah. No, you, you don't think Unmasked and Dress to Kill those? No, no. I, I well, Dress to Kill is a, a funny one because uh, I've always said that that was the crazy nights of the '70s in terms of its polish and finish. Um, Unmasked, yeah, but. There's something weird going on for me sonically on that album, and it doesn't quite have the clarity that Dynasty did. So they're not analogous to one another because something changed between the two. There's something, there's a crispness not there. There's a more, maybe it was with what they were going for with the AOR sound and, you know, the accessibility. But there's there's something lost there. It's a little bit warmer. Uh, whereas Dynasty's more dry in its sound, so I, I don't know if I'm explaining my, you know, what I hear because again, as a non-musician 
uh, goofball. I, I don't really have the vocabulary. <laughs> I mean, it's like explaining colors to the blind. Right. No, no, no. I, I agree with you. And uh, truthfully, Jay only co-mixed Unmasked. So that's probably why there's there's uh, differences in the sound. But I mean, just looking at the Kiss catalog as a whole and uh, Jay, by the way, also, he actually mixed Destroyer uncredited, but he mixed Destroyer. So, again, for me, going back and just listening to those records and knowing that he was, you know, so involved with basically, you know, um, coming up with the culmination of, of the sounds for those songs and how they sound just you know having him coming in even though it was on the mastering end of the record just having well, he, him he's he's the guy that. painting on the final cut of lacquer yeah exactly there you go you know so if it's sealed now for eternity those albums are what he he was kind of the last audio hands to touch him right yeah exactly so i mean you know just if, like I said, to me, there's very few people that I believe know what Kiss songs should sound like, and I believe Jay is in that small list of people. So to have him come in and master this record, it just, it just to me, it's it just an amazing, and uh, and I feel blessed. Yeah. So I have, I really only have one last question, and that's one of the things that people are going to experience first. Obviously, they can go to Bandcamp site, and I'll put the link in this episode uh, for where they can check out this project and listen to the first single, which is of course "Hard Luck Woman." But your cover art riffs off. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it's a complete riff on um, Destroyer. Uh, you know. Yes. Tell everyone about the concept, the execution. Who is the artist? Because uh, it's very important that they get named. Yes. Um, the artist is a good friend of mine, uh, Kevin Conrad. Uh, Kevin Conrad um, is a comic book artist. And uh, if people don't know how comics are made, essentially it's a three-step process. You have a person who does the penciling and then the inking process and then coloring and a lot of people have a misconception that they think that the person doing the inking is like a tracer which inkers you tell them <laughs> that they're tracers they'll, they'll they'll stab you in the face you know with, with with their inking pen um yeah no kevin um actually inked all 31 issues of the todd mcfarland psycho circus comic book series oh wow and yeah and and really, I mean, I if you go to his site, um, which, um, you know, if you want to put up the link for people to check it out, um, you can see examples of where he took the original pencil work from the Psycho Circus comics and then how he transformed some of the things that were done in pencil with his final inking process before it's colored. And it's just amazing. So I talked to um, Kevin about doing the cover artwork. And, you know, the thing is, is obviously is, you know, being a Kiss fan, you know, I love the band and I respect them. And I know that they're very protective of, you know, uh, the logos and the makeup designs. So it was challenging to me to try to come up with a concept of, you know, how do I put Kiss on an album cover without showing 
kiss, you know, without without showing their faces. And so I started thinking of like, you know, the most iconic kiss images. And to me, one of the most iconic kiss images there is, is the Destroyer album cover. And I thought, you know, as, as a kid, that was actually the first Kiss record, and I'm sure like many other Kiss fans that, uh, you know, I experienced was that album cover. And I just remember for hours just staring at that cover and I would, you know, tip the, the album cover down and around and looking at it, you know, and I would try to, you know, imagine, you know, what that looked like, you know, if I was at the, you know, the top you know, rather the bottom of the mountain looking up at the top, or I was down in the burning city looking back up at the top, you know, I just, it's just what, it, what it would look like from all different angles. So it started to make me think like, well, what would it look like from behind? Would having, you know, the, you know, kiss in the destroyer poses, you know, um, from behind, would that be exciting enough? So I threw the concept at Kevin and um, I said, well, being that it's Buffalo Rock City, I wanted to have something that, you know, tied in with um, our city. And um, on the cover, um, you know, where you see, you know, the, the four KISS figures, you know, is the Buffalo's City Hall, which I thought has a very, I always thought uh, our city hall is almost like a, a, a Gotham. I was just going to say that is totally yeah. looking very Gotham-esque, which is why I was going to ask where it was or what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I, I threw the concept at Kevin, and I, you know, I'm like, can we make this work? Can we make this, you know, you know, come alive and be something that's, you know, looks cool? And so he started coming up with sketches. And it was Kevin's idea to actually um, add Eric Carr in the cover instead of Peter Chris, because in my Kiss tribute band, our drummer, uh, he portrays Eric Carr as opposed to Peter Chris. And um, kind of like our concept as a, as a tribute band, where a lot of tribute bands, they all wear one uh, unified you know, era of costumes. Our concept is we each wear our favorite costume from each, you know, era of the band that, that we liked how each member looked. So that was like, you know, our concept. So Kevin took that idea with the costumes that he put on each kiss member that's on the cover. And, uh, he threw me some sketches and then just started, you know, going at it. And then, you know, once I seen the final art, um, you know, and it was cover. It was colored by a gentleman by the name of Ben uh, Prenvost, and he did the final colors on the record. And I have to say, everybody who's seen this cover art, it's been nothing but compliments, and I couldn't be happier with that. No, I, I, I thank you for explaining, you know, the costumes because Kiss fans are detail freaks, as I once found out to my error with one of my uh, book covers, uh, the wrong order of the members. Good God. Um, so now that explains... Wait, wait, uh, hold, hold on. There's an actual order of the, of the members? I was told there was, and I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, I sleep well at night. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> It, it sounds. I, in fact, I'm quite happy because it means that someone else is still, th th uh, you know, fretting about it somewhere and not sleeping well at night. So, over a book cover, there we go. All right. So, so 
do they take the book and turn it the other way around so they're in the right order? Is, is I, so, is I don't know. They could tear the cover off for all I care, you know, <laughs> <laughs> make, make, make their own. Um, Buffalo Rock City is going to be out on or around December the 15th. Um, the, dig- the digital release, I take it, will be that day. The physical is all down to the vagaries Correct. of production and COVID and what happens next in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing that would truthfully hold up, um, you know, anything with the, the physical product, I, again, would be COVID, like here in, in Buffalo, Um I don't know how it is where you are, Julian, but right now um, the governor of New York State, he's turned this area into what they're calling micro clusters. And each micro cluster is is color coded and it's going from yellow to orange to red. And as each uh, color coding changes, the, the severity of the lockdown that we're experiencing, that becomes more severe um so you know the only thing that we would be looking at is any of those covid restrictions um holding anything back in terms of getting physical product but as far as the actual um just the music the digital download there shouldn't be any delays with having that up uh you know on the site on the Bandcamp site december 15th yeah, I, I think Andrew's named it perfectly. Clusters. Everywhere is a cluster. In San Francisco, our colors include purple, the color purple, yeah. um, which is like the, Paul, like like Paul's headband from the Elder, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's your biggest threat is if you've got a purple headband, you know, you're on the Kiss color code, you're in danger, danger, danger. All right, I think that pretty much covers. Buffalo Rock City, if there's anything you'd like to add, now is your moment. I think you summed it up, Julian, and we really appreciate the opportunity yeah, to, to, to do this show with you. This is actually the first press that we're, we're doing for the record. So, again, we, we thank you. We really appreciate all the support from all the KISS fans because we are KISS fans. And, um, you know, none of us, Gene nor I or anybody in the band, none of us are coming from any, you know, aloof positions where, you know, we're like these well-off people. We're just like regular, you know, regular people like everybody else. And, you know, that being said, we still feel that it's important to do this record with a cause to try to help people who are less fortunate. And for KISS fans, you know, even if you've heard these songs a million times, okay, you're going to hear these songs whether they're songs that are, you know, super close replications to the original versions, you're going to hear them with modern production values. And then you're going to hear other songs where you're going to hear some things that aren't exactly like the original songs. And um, we hope you appreciate those little variances as well. So before we go, I'm just going to quickly give everyone the track listing. Black Diamond featuring Bumblefoot and Dean Castronovo. Detroit Rock City featuring Kiss This. Kiss Hard Luck Woman, which you can hear today, featuring uh, Robbie Takak, New York Groove, 7880. Tell me, just interrupt me. Why 7880? Tell me about that. Okay. Um, What that is, is that our original concept of doing New York Groove, well, first of all, I know we're wrapping this up, so I don't want to make this too long. One of the things else we wanted to do with this record is – 
I don't know about you, Julian, but I really can't stand fade outs. I'm not a fan of fade outs. <laughs> right? Nice hard so ending. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to have as many hard endings as we could for the record. So we wanted to do New York Groove like the way that they did it live in 1980, which is a really cool version because it's when Eric Carr first joined the band. And um, if you listen to the way that they did it on the Dynasty Tour in 79, and then you A-B that with the way they did it in 1980 with Eric Carr, it's just night and day. Just the drumming that Eric Carr added to the song was just fantastic so that was the way that we originally cut the song and then when we got the tracks back from tommy hendrickson he decided that he wanted to do the song just like the 1978 ace studio album so we were kind of in a in a, a dilemma of sorts because we were coming from two kind of different stances on how we wanted the song to go so what we wound up doing is we left the arrangement like the uh, 78A studio record, and Tommy just sounds so much like Ace on that track. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but what we did do to make it like the 1980 version is we had our drummer from Kiss This, Julius Jambaluka, we had him go in and we had him add all those Tom hits that Eric Carr did on the 1980 version. So um, we basically said, well, you know, we'll call it New York Groove 7880 because it's really the perfect marriage between the Ace Frehley 78 solo album version plus the 1980 live Kiss version. So that's where you get New York Groove 7880. That's a great story. Uh, your Kiss This drummer now is the official Alan Schwartzberg for doing drum overdubs. Correct. Yep. There you, <laughs> there you go. And Tommy Denander is on there as well. Dirty Living uh, featuring the fabulous, I can't wait to hear this, Ryan Cook and Phil Schaus. Hard Times featuring Phil Schaus. Um, I've had enough. Obviously, we've talked about Back on the Streets. We've spoken about The Street Giveth and The Street Taketh Away. One of my favorite songs, actually, off uh, Hot in the Shade, Jungle, which I, oh, I can't wait to hear the fully finished version of that as well. Um, it's My Life, featuring the third amigo, Jeremy Asrock. Uh, Freak, which, you know, great selection from Monster, by the way, and the bonus collector's track, While the City Sleeps. Let's leave that there. Go to buffalorockcity.bandcamp.com and you can order and find out all the details, which I, I wouldn't read because you've written a lot of stuff there for people to check out. Support the project if you're so inclined. It's going to help a good cause. John and Gene, thank you very much for taking the time to explain the passion behind this album and uh, a whole bunch of stories about it. I appreciate it. Thank anytime, you, Julian. Any anytime you want, you know, talk about anything else or do any kind of follow up once the album comes out. If if people are interested in hearing about it, we'd be more than happy to do it. Because you're a great guy. We love the site. Love the message board. It's just, uh, you know, for us diehards, it's just it's great. You know, even if some of the, you know, content's crazy to read, it's just a blast to be able to go do that, you know. And uh, and again, we appreciate the support and uh, we appreciate everything that you do. Thank and, you. And if anyone's wondering who John is on the board, Ace Clone. So there, there he is. I've just doxed you. Thank you, guys. Yes. Thank you. 
Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.